0: hey everyone welcome to the i dare you podcast this podcast it is all about you and helping you reach the big goals that you have for your life and what next steps do you want to take to get there and i'm your host darren johnson uh welcome to the episode if you are new to the show welcome i'm glad you're here and for everyone if you if you like this episode i would invite you to subscribe so you do not miss a one also follow us on instagram at i dare you pod there you'll get exclusive content you won't get anywhere else including video snippets of this interview with our guest, and she is fantastic. She is Elizabeth Passarella. She is the author of best-selling author of, It Was an Ugly Couch Anyway, a wonderful book. My wife, Michelle, just finished it. We were taking a few days off, and she was listening to it and uh, just really enjoyed it, but also author of Good Apple, named one of the best books of 2021 by Real Simple Magazine. Now her articles and essays have appeared everywhere. New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Vogue, Parents, Martha Stewart Weddings, Real Simple, Southern Living. Elizabeth, she's originally from Memphis and now lives in the big city of Manhattan with her husband and three children. We had such a great conversation about mentoring and also being a writer and a freelancer and a whole lot more. So I can't wait for you to this interview with Elizabeth. She is here. Welcome, everyone. Here is Elizabeth Passarella. Elizabeth, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So Elizabeth, you heard a little bit about my introduction of you. Um, tell me a little bit more. I have to ask, you're in New York right now, and how did, how did your life take you from where you were in the South, growing up in Memphis, Tennessee, to New York City? Let, let's start there.
1: Sure. Um, Well, I think if you had asked me when I was growing up in Memphis, or even when I was in high school, if I would ever live in New York City, I would have said, absolutely, 100% not. Um, I love being from the South. I loved my childhood. I loved growing up in Memphis. And yeah, so I, I went to college in North Carolina. I was a journalism major at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And I visited New York when I was in college. My dad had a cousin who lived here, who they were very, very close. He's lived here forever and we came up to visit him. And it really was one of those things where I just visited and um, it sounds cheesy and it sounds sort of silly, but I just thought, oh, this is where I've always meant to be. This is where I was supposed to be. Um, And so when I graduated from college, I moved to New York i wanted to move straight into manhattan and work for magazines which is what i which is what i wanted to do and instead i got an internship at uh, newsday which is the uh, law it, it does not ex- i don't think it exists anymore but it was a large um sort of uh, paper that covered long island oh, and yeah. so i got this great internship at newsday it was with the features department um i was working on you know kind of their magazine section that ran on the weekends it was a wonderful opportunity and i said no I said no to the very nice person who came down to Chapel Hill to interview me and offer me this job. I said, no, no, no. I'm not going to take that job. I'm not going to live on Long Island. I'm going straight to Manhattan.
0: Oh, you
1: did, huh? Yes. Yes. I was very determined. And so this incredibly saintly man who, who I tell the story in the book, I mean, he, he was, he did not have to do this. He should have just slammed the phone down and said, forget with this kid. But he said to me, listen, you're passing up a really great opportunity. Just just take this job. Like this, these feature jobs at newspapers, usually when you get into newspapers, you start at in writing, working in the obituaries or you're covering the um, the city council meetings or the school board yeah. meetings or, um, and having this opportunity to write features and uh, work on the arts and, and things like that was really, a great opportunity he said you're, you're being an idiot i mean in not so many words that's what he said to me and so i listened i listened that was uh, one of the few times probably i listened to an authority figure in my life and made the right decision so i moved to long island I lived with a family, they put me sort of matched me with a a family who lived in this small town on the south shore of Long Island. I did not know anything about Long Island and I didn't know anything about geography to be totally honest. I didn't even know really where I was and so I lived on Long Island. It was a a wonderful um, work experience, I got to work with just some really old school career newspaper men and women who taught me so much about reporting, about working quickly under a deadline. And then I moved into Manhattan. I see. So I moved into New York. I was twenty-two, I guess, at the time still, and my first magazine job that I got was at InStyle magazine. And I uh, worked in the beauty department. I was an editorial assistant in the beauty department. And I spent several years being a beauty editor, which is funny. I mean, you can see me. the, The listeners cannot see me, but you can see me. I am not a big, heavily made up person. I didn't care that much about hair and skincare and all these things. At the time, magazines were just full of Uh, The the staffs were huge. They were so much bigger than they are now. Magazine was A whole different time, wasn't it? Oh yeah, I mean, we were taking black cars everywhere. We were, it was being wined and dined and it was just a very different time. Um, They were flush with cash and flush with ads. I was a beauty editor for several years. I worked at InStyle, I worked at Vogue, and um, and then I left to go freelance when I was 25, which if anybody listening um, wants some advice, that is probably not the advice you, you need. But at the time again, magazines were really, really booming. So there was so much work that even as a 25 year old who, who knew very little, um, I had plenty of editors who were who, who needed help, who needed extra writers, who needed people to be able to jump in and write all, all kinds of stories in the women's magazine lifestyle space. Wow. So I've really been freelance ever since. Um, I have worked now for 20 something years for I've worked a lot for Real Simple Magazine. I edited some of their special issues. I would pop in and out of offices, I've had a great, just wonderful career with wonderful editors, and I've learned a lot um, from those people. I've edited, I've edited, I've written, I've done just about everything in magazine. So
0: do you, do you consider yourself a New Yorker or do you consider I do. yourself? You do. Okay, loud, loud and proud.
1: Yes, I do. You know, I also married a New Yorker. So <laughs> that makes a difference, too. When you have married someone who grew up in New York City and now you're raising three New Yorkers. So um, that, that my life for sure is settled and rooted here in the city. Um, I do feel like a New Yorker. I still feel like a Southerner. You know, that's a lot of what this book is about. It's just about how your our identities are complicated and I, I feel very attached to the South and I feel very rooted in New York. And I think both of those things can be true. Um, there are a lot of Southerners in New York. There's, uh, yeah, so I do, I do feel like a New Yorker. I love the city. I love raising a family here, but um, but yeah, I'm Southern. I'm Southern at heart, so.
0: You know, uh, you mentioned a couple times you had- a chance to learn from some of these other people, uh, older people that you that mentored you and helped you. Uh, wh- what did you? What a blessing that is! I always think about young professionals coming up, and when they when they don't have that opportunity to be mentored by somebody to to, to you know, someone who cares enough about their development to say, hey, here's how you do it. What a huge disadvantage! Now, I'm 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 projecting my own experience into your story, but do you agree with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I really think that this is such an important thing to talk about, especially right now when so many people are working remotely. Oh, yeah. Because when I was coming up in newspapers and magazines, we were still literally handing paper copies of things from editor to editor. And you would have different editors. I mean, this is a little thing about magazines. Anybody who's worked in magazines will know this. But different editors had, um, especially at Real Simple, they were very organized, different editors had different colored pens. So if I got something back and it had orange writing all over it, I knew it came from this editor. That top editor had, had, had written her notes on it. And then green was the editor-in-chief. So I knew if the green was on there, it's because the editor-in-chief had, had read it and she was writing her notes on it and I would take those literal hard copies you know paper copies home and study okay they've crossed out this word and they've put this word why is that why is that our better word choice okay they've marked out my opening sentence and said don't use a question that's a lazy way to open a open a story which is correct so all of these different things that I, I learned just very very hands-on when I was at Newsday I remember there was a An older gentleman, probably in his 60s, I would think. He and his wife both worked at Newsday. He would sit me down in his office and we would go through my story on the screen line by line and he would tell me that's a great, that's a great detail. Leave that in there, but this needs to go here. And I do think twofold. Number one, I think just not being in an office and not having eye to eye contact or sitting down next to someone and looking over something together. I think there's there's a little bit that's lost. And I don't think that's just writing and editing. My my husband's a lawyer. He he talks about the associates in his firm not being able to just have conversations, casual conversations that happen in the office or sitting around the lunch table about um, a case or something. There's there's just a, a little bit of learning that's lost. Um, I mean, I love flexible work. I'm a mother. Yeah. I, there's nothing better than that. And yet, I do think there's a little bit lost when you're not in the office at all. Um, also, with writing, you know, the thing is now the way the state that magazines are in, which is which is so much so different from when I was coming up. Um, the staffs are so small, and there isn't a big budget to have a lot of editors. You've got a lot of young writers coming in who just aren't getting that training because mm. they don't—they can't. Those people are those those young writers are being thrown into covering uh, all kinds of things. I wrote captions. We're talking twenty-word captions about a shoe, or a <laughs> belt, or a throw pillow. I wrote captions for years, and it was amazing training having to the the economy of words that you have to do to write a right. caption. So that's not happening anymore. They they are coming in and having to write just full stories and and cover so much ground because the staffs are so stretched. And so, yeah, I do. And and the Internet has changed everything, obviously. Everyone's a writer. Everyone can put their their words into captions on Instagram and put, put it on their blog. And that's a great thing. But I do think that there's a lot of people who could benefit from editors. We could all benefit from editors. I've been a writer for 20-something years. I still lean on my editors for books and everything so heavily. And so we all need editors in our lives. And I do think that is, is lost a little bit.
0: We, need, we do need to manage our own careers. And maybe it's just simply asking someone or taking someone out for coffee and saying, I'd like to learn from you. Do you have any insights into that, that point of view as leaders and, and managing your career?
1: I write now, I went I went freelance when I was pretty young, and so I took a different path in my career. I didn't stay on staff and work my way up to being an editor-in-chief, that's that's not what I wanted. So now I am a freelance writer, I'm an independent contractor, I write for all kinds of people. The people that I'm writing for, the editors who are now the editors-in-chief or the executive editors who are assigning me things are often, usually, younger than I am. Sometimes they are people who I was their editor 10 years ago or 15 wow. years ago. So I, I also wanna say that, that you know, don't it doesn't always have to be someone who's older than you sometimes it's just someone who's taken a different career path and had different experiences at you and has something to teach i have learned a lot there's i can think of one editor in my mind who was a friend of mine who worked at real simple and we just had different brains her she had the most wild creative Wonderful brain when it came to language and puns and being able to be fun and and playful in the language and the way that she put stories together and I learned so 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 much for her from her and she was a little bit younger than I am or we had we had yeah. different sort of experiences in magazines so I think also that's an important thing is the people around you it doesn't always have to be someone older it can sometimes just be someone with different experience who can lend kind of a fresh eye to what you're doing um, but yes I just I think that's really important even if you're just writing for yourself having friends read it having other people read it. Who you can who can give you feedback is really is really important. Well, and also I I do this a lot. I and mean, you know, people are always asking me, what do you read when you're writing? You know, for some yeah. people, I write nonfiction. So for some people who write nonfiction, they need to read fiction. They love to read fiction instead of nonfiction. For me, I love to read what I'm writing. If I'm writing essay collections, which is what it's kind of my bread and butter. That's what I do. I read ex- essay collections, and those can be mentors. I know that sounds crazy, but but read writers mm. that you love, whose writing really lights you up, and say, okay, why is that? Why did I laugh out loud at this sentence? What was funny about this? What was the pacing or the timing or the word choice or whatever it was that, um, that grabbed you and, and, and imitate that, not copy it. I'm not talking about plagiarism, but sort of, yeah, Learn what it is that made that writing so uh, vivid and wonderful to you and then figure out how to put that in your in your own voice. So I do really believe that writers who are just out there in the world that you've never met can absolutely be mentors in a way to you. They certainly are to me. I have certain writers I go back to all the time that kind of get the gears unstuck for me when I'm having writers.
0: Great tips. Hey, what, what's the best book you've read lately?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I'm going to say, I've said this a a bunch of times to a million people. Anybody who's talked to me in the past year is sick of hearing about it. But there's a book called um, Sorrow and Bliss by a writer named Meg Mason. Now, this is fiction. Uh, She just for she is to me she's kind of a writer's writer the sentence structure every sentence just felt perfect in this book and it's it really is a book a lot about mental illness really serious mental health issues and divorce and sort of a marriage falling apart and yet it also um, in some way manages to be hilarious and funny i love that book as as far as nonfiction um oh gosh i mean i've i i just uh finished jesse klein's new book now for anybody who likes my writing i like to tell people jesse klein is someone that um I I would love to be like, just take out all the curse words, take out all the F-bombs in Jesse Klein's writing, and then maybe you'll get some sort of like sad imitation in my writing. So she is a, she wrote for Inside Amy Schumer. She's a Comedy Central writer and showrunner. And she has two books out, but her most recent is called I'll Show Myself Out. And it's essays on midlife and motherhood. And it is, laugh out loud funny I mean I think mothers especially will relate to it if you don't have kids I still think you'll think it's funny she's just she's raunchy I have to say that but she is absolutely hysterical and I love her writing too
0: okay I'm gonna check both those out and that's probably a perfect segue into your book uh, Good Apple Tales of a Southern Evangelical in New York Um, I read the book and I have to tell you I loved it. I love your writing style it's very conversational It's like um, it was almost like we were just Yeah, I was just listening. We were just having a conversation. Um, And you're a great, great storyteller. And uh, thank you for that book. Thank
1: you. You're welcome. Thank you for reading it. It's on all those kind words. Thank you.
0: What was the motivation behind it? Why, Why that book and why this time of your life?
1: You know, I I wasn't really looking necessarily to write a book. I think that any magazine writer, any writer in general, I think writing a book is always a goal. It's always kind of that dream. Oh, someday I'll write a book and it'll be on the shelves at Barnes & Noble and it'll be great. I had a a good friend who used to be the editor-in-chief of Real Simple magazine. So I had worked in and out of Real Simple for years and I had known this woman for a long time professionally. She had left Real Simple and become a literary agent. Taken on a new Thank career as a literary agent. And she was reached, she reached out and she said, Hi, I, you know, I just want to know, do you have a book in you? I've always enjoyed your writing. Would you want to talk about maybe doing a book? And so we had breakfast or lunch and we talked about it. And I said, Okay, if I'm gonna write a book, I'm gonna write nonfiction. That's that's what I feel like I'm good at. And writing essays, I feel like I have a sense of humor. I'd like to write something, some funny essays. And uh, the things that I'm passionate about are I I love living in New York. I love raising kids in New York. I love raising a family in New York. I love raising a family in a small space. I could write about small space. Of course, I've still got my women's magazine service hat on. We're like, okay, I can give people tips about living in a small space. And she looked at me and she said, okay, that's all great, but you need to be able to appeal to all of those, you know, like those evangelical Christians in the middle of the country. And I looked at her and I was like, oh, I can do that. I can definitely do that. Um, and this is a woman who's known me for a long time. She knows that I am a person of faith. She knows that I go to church. I mean, that's never something I've hidden. But I think just this aspect of I really did grow up in a church that had evangelical in the title of the church. And I, I grew up in kind of the early 80s and 90s and part of purity culture and signing true love weights cards and all of those things that everyone is talking about are kind of these, uh, you know, guideposts or signposts of evangelical culture. Growing up was was absolutely 100% how I was so to have gone from from that and I grew up in a really conservative family and my parents were very still are or my father's passed away and my mom still is very, you know, strong Republicans and now I'm sort of this liberal New Yorker but I haven't lost that faith. Um, was really intriguing to her and we started talking about it and I started writing and the way that I knew that this book was working is just, it was so easy to write. What are the things about your identity that are kind of the foundation and what are the things about your identity that can change and move and shift as you get older and you're still who you are? Yeah, and we and we got a really great response. And we got a great response from kind of Christian publishers who understood that that part of my life. And we got a great response from mainstream publishers who did not have any sort of faith background that I did. And so that's also how I knew that we'd hit on something that could be really relatable to a lot of different people was just this fish out of water sort of tale, um, talking about moving to New York, falling in love with my husband. There's a lot of that in this story falling in love with New York City. I say the book is really kind of a love letter to New York City and just the the changes that happen as you get older and the things that stay the same. That made it even sweeter I think for me when it came out that there is so much in this book about how New York really um, made me who I am it, it it bolstered my confidence it helped me come alive it um, it took all the things that were already there and just lit them on fire a little awesome. bit and New York is just I'm I, I fell in love with the city and and my husband and sort of my job and my career and my community all at once it was just this big rushing of, of feeling like I was in the right place and this is where I was always meant to be so that was really special for me to re- be able to release this book a really tough time for New York City
0: yes. and,
1: and and have it be a real uh, love letter kind of to the city and to my neighborhood and my community and my friends here so that was that was nice too but no I'm terrible at elevator pitches <laughs> I'm terrible um, I'm, I'm about to I'm getting ready I mean, the final edits of my second book, and I don't have a great elevator pitch for it either, so don't ask, but um, it's hard, it's hard. When you write essay collections too, I think it's even harder because you touch on so many different subjects. Every little chapter is almost like its own little book. So I think that makes it even harder for me.
0: I, um, the way you wrote about your dad was just beautiful. I have to tell you that. And when you were, earlier in the book, when you were talking about how you grew up in Memphis and you were describing your dad, and uh, part of what I recall in the book was you grew up, you know, watching CNN crossfire with Pat <laughs> Buchanan and Michael Kinsley. And, and, and your dad would also, though, you know, he'd listen to, uh, you know, NPR, right. And then you guys would have some debates. And before Google, was it Mara Liason or Mar Eliasson oh, <laughs> We yes. could look it up. Still not
1: sure. Still not sure.
0: Right. So you grew up in this, in this, again, this, this seems like a really transparent, authentic political discussion. You, uh, you worked for Christian Coalition for a time and and I, and tell me a little bit more about your evolution from in this conservative Republican, you know, household, we all kind of grew up a certain way, but then you evolved. What was that like? And did you get blowback from your family?
1: Well, first I want to say what, what an interesting, um, you know, detail that, which I love this detail. I'm so glad you brought it up about my dad every morning in the, when he would drive carpool, we listened to NPR. <laughs> so I, I think that first of all, um, politics has changed since yeah. my since I mean we all know that so I think my parents um, yes they were conservative but also th- my dad listened to NPR every morning they 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 read all the different all different newspapers and so I do think that it was it was different I also want to say my dad was Jewish so my dad uh, was was born raised by a Jewish family he was Jewish he was in, in his entire life so I think another reason that I was always um, I, I grew up in um, In a in a Christian household in the sense that my mother was a very strong Christian and my dad said do whatever you want with my sister and me to her in terms of our faith upbringing, so we were raised in the church with my mother, however, we did not have a very typical. Christian patriarchal household, where my dad was the spiritual leader of the family and all that. So I do think that in terms of me evolving, becoming different, uh, you know, having different views from my parents as I got older, there was always that little door in my brain that was open because I had a I had a dad who believed differently than we did growing up, wow. who had different thoughts on faith, who had different thoughts on women and their, their roles and the, the, the power and the authority of women in certain places. Also, my father wasn't the spiritual leader in my household. My mother was. So I, I definitely grew up with a really, um, with a lot of momentum behind me to think for myself, to be independent, to be self-sufficient, to to go out and, and grab life by the horns and all those wonderful things. Listen, I think this happens to everybody, which is why I think this book resonates with so many people. You move to a place that is different from where you grew up and suddenly you are surrounded by people who are different from you. You are surrounded by people from different countries, uh, different socioeconomic uh, backgrounds, different faith backgrounds, different races, everything. And it just widens your world. It just makes you think, wait, all of these things that I thought uh, Christianity looked like this. It doesn't. Christianity encompasses all of these people. The kingdom of God is full of all of these different people. And so I think that just widened my perception of, I think, the world. And that makes you rethink your um, your beliefs on all kinds of things. My husband grew up in a pretty left-leaning family. Um, His political views definitely have influenced me, but also just living in a huge city, uh, seeing how government works, seeing what kind of, where my tax dollars go. Um, I have a different view of government's role in people's lives having Mm -hmm. lived in an enormous urban environment where I see the social safety net be really valuable to certain people. So I think that changed my, um, my thinking.
0: I think I I give you credit. I mean, in this this, uh, environment that we're in, you were able to talk about religion, faith, politics in a way in this book that I found um, just really, again, just transparent, disarming, um, not mean-spirited, which is really a trick nowadays. I I was
1: naive, Darren, so naive.
0: (laughs) Did you get a lot of blowback at all? Because when I read that, I thought, okay, that's that's really, you're, you're owning your story, right? This is what you believe and why. And it, it had a lot of love behind it, right? About why you believe the way you believe. But uh, was was that the way it was received out there with with um, evangelical Christians and your friends in New York, et cetera?
1: If I get blowback, it's probably in Amazon or Goodreads reviews, which I don't read. So no, I I really have gotten nothing but love and uh, and and support and and a curious, like honest and heartfelt curiosity from people. So no, I mean, I, I remember sending this book to um, a friend of mine, who is also a writer, who I've known for years, we had kind of a professional relationship. And I know her politics, and I know her religion and her politics and my politics line up somewhat, although I'm probably way more moderate than she is, but our religion and our faith background, not at all. And I sent this book to her because I wanted her to I was asking her to maybe blurb it, you know, when you get these endorsements that run on the back of the book. So I thought, And I said, Listen, I have to confess to you that um, I'm I'm a Christian. (laughs) Not only that, I grew up an evangelical Christian. And this was right. You know, we are in the throes of the Donald the end of the Donald Trump presidency. And there's so much baggage around the word evangelical. And it was like I had to come to her and, and confess before I then asked her, and would you read it and possibly endorse it with the word evangelical on the cover. And not only did she read it and she did endorse it, and she also just said it, it made me so curious about what you believe it. I mean, she was just so gracious and wonderful. And I have gotten that response from so many people in New York who did not grow up the same way I did. Now, do I think that the politics smooths the way a little bit? Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. If I were saying I'm an evangelical Christian and I'm also a huge Republican, I don't think that that would have gotten the same response. And the reason is because in New York, politics is a lot of people's religion. My point in the book is that my faith is what allows me to sort of be hold my politics more loosely. I can, I can, I can shift and I can be, um, really open and gracious to people on both sides. And I can criticize both sides and love things about both sides because it's not my identity. It's not my, it's not my religion in New York. Politics is a lot of people's religion. So the fact that I share politics with a lot of New Yorkers definitely greases the the wheel a little bit in terms of being accepting of my, my faith story that comes along along with
0: it. It's interesting, though, and the way you even just said you, you turned that phrase right there. Uh, one of the, uh, my podcast guests was uh, Jonathan Morris, who is a former priest who now is an executive coach. And I asked Jonathan, I said, so how does that work? How are you building? How are you living out your faith in your workplace? And he said, look, I don't I don't put my faith on anyone. Uh, I, I want to believe that the way I live my life is a reflection of my faith. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was just a really a beautiful way of basically kind of Uh, building off what you were saying is that you know what you can you can live your life in a certain way in a way that people will say okay (laughs) that's there's a lot of love there's a lot of kindness that's the way that Jesus or the gospel would have you live your life any of that resonate with you
1: of course I mean that's he's spot on absolutely I I I agree with everything that you were just saying and also you know we talk a lot my, my pastors talk a lot about this we talk a lot about this in my church you can't you can't walk up onto the street and say, hello, strange person. Let me tell you about Jesus. Now you can, you can listen, plenty of people do that. Missionaries do that all the time. However, the, the, the change that's going to happen in people's lives is going to be through relationship. It's going to be through community. You, you are the reason I think that so many of my former coworkers and were, and, and people that I had lived life with, um, were kind about this book or open to reading my book is because I had a relationship with them there because we were friends, because you, we had already spent time around each other's dinner tables and at each other's birthday parties and weddings. You do life with people, you spend time with people and then you can say, hey i'm you're going through this hard time when i'm going through this hard time this is what i rely on let me tell you a little bit about that Mm. you are not going to get that a good reception if you are doing that with someone that you don't have um a, a a safe relationship with um and that's one of the things that i i say this in the book too it's one of the things i love about new york is It's really impossible in New York City to wall yourself off from people because you live in small spaces, you get on public transportation, you are walking everywhere. We don't, I do have a car, we have a lovely minivan, I love it so much, but we don't spend our whole lives in our minivans. We spend our lives mostly on our feet, walking up and down the street, and you just bump in and rub elbows and have to interact with humanity, (laughs) the good and the bad all the time. And so you're constantly having to be in community with people and with strangers and building these relationships, and that is how I think we are going to. You know, the Bible says, "You, you, you." They know you're Christians by your love. They know you're my people because of the way you love people. And so, you have to be loving, and you have to be in these relationships, or your message is never going to go anywhere. It's just going to kind of fall on deaf ears. So, I think that's absolutely true.
0: Wow, I love that man. Oh man, um, what, there's a I, there's a line in your book that that I just want to explore with you. It has to do with. Um, your comfort zone, and and there's a line here, the more I remember that God doesn't promise me comfort, the faster I can stop expecting it and feeling sorry for myself and get on with my day. I, I thought that was just profound, and I wanted to know, tell me a little bit more about that. Tell the listeners, what, what does that mean Exactly.
1: Um, you know, I I think it's important for us to remember that comfort, we are all seeking comfort. Don't get me wrong. I love comfort. I would love to lie down on this couch in a duvet and read a book all day long and not have to clean the dishes or do any of these things that sort of get me out of a, a cozy zone. But that's not how life is. And like I said, God does not promise us comfort. He promises us all kinds of things, but comfort is not one of them. We're not we're not we're not promised that. And I think our children for sure think they're promised that. My children for sure think they are promised comfort. And so I'm I constantly reminded them, you are not promised comfort. You are not promised ease. You are not promised an easy life. You're not even promised a happy life. And sometimes there's nothing you can do to to create that for yourself. What you are promised is, um, you know, a God who is with you and that you are never alone and you are promised unconditional love from him and you are promised forgiveness. Um, you are promised unforg- unconditional love from your parents, which again, you don't always get because we're fallen individuals too, but I just think that that can be a gift to remember that um, ease and comfort are not guarantees, and um, I think it makes you appreciate them more when you get them, and also that you can look at the discomfort in your life and and figure out what the lesson is that you're learning from it, or what um, what you what you need to, I don't know, teach or
0: be taught in those instances. You've done a lot in your career. Uh, you've done a lot with your life. You're not you're not done yet. But what have you learned? through this whole process that someone listening that may be thinking about chasing a big goal or getting out of their comfort zone, they're maybe listening extra, extra careful or extra attention right now. What would you say to them?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, I think that I would say, don't worry about being on your own and don't worry about going against the, um, you know, the norms that maybe you grew up with or what your parents think you should do. I probably, shocked a lot of people when i moved to new york and never came home and it was the best thing i ever did so i think you're stronger than you think you will find community wherever you go if you put yourself out there and look for it and you don't have to stay on a path that everybody that you grew up with is on
0: great advice how best should we follow you and the cool projects you're working on
1: oh sure so i am probably most active on instagram uh my instagram is e s there's a sneaky s in there e s passerella and uh, that's that's where I am, and I have a new book coming out um, in May of 2023, and um, it's a, also an essay collection, uh, similar in tone to this. Little less politics, little less Jesus, to be totally honest with you. So it yeah. it follows kind of the the path of we bought a new apartment in our building that we already lived in. And um, it was kind of a hoarder situation. And it's a relationship that we built with the woman who owned it. It took us a really long time. And so I, I talk about that um, that, and kind of, it's a story about moving and, and home and sort of the things that we hold on to when things change in our lives. And so that will be out next year, but that's what I'm working on working on right now.
0: Elizabeth, thanks so much for being part of the podcast. We covered a lot of topics, but it was just so much fun to get to know you, learn more about the book, but also some of your insights, what, what what made that book so special. So thanks for being part of this podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. It was really fun.
0: Okay, that was Elizabeth Passarella. What a fun interview. It was so great getting to know her and a, really a great perspective on faith and politics and being kind to one another. I really enjoyed getting to know her. And you talk about a great writer unbelievable. I invite you to um, check her out on Instagram, follow her. And right now her she's on her book tour for it was an ugly couch anyway. And uh, yeah, get to know her even more. Now, uh, follow us on Instagram at I dare you pod. And there you'll find a video excerpts of this interview with Elizabeth. Okay, now that you listen to the interview, uh, who will you share it with? Uh, Think of that one person and take that extra step. The podcast is growing so fast because you are doing that, and I sure appreciate that. And what is the one thing you're gonna implement in your life starting today? She gave us a lot to think about, everything from mentoring to freelancing, to writing, to politics, faith. Uh, One of the things I'm reminded about is that even though Manhattan is very different from Memphis or Manhattan, is very different from Idaho, where I live, we all want our country to be great. I believe that, uh, I've, I will continue <laughs> to believe that. And we can disagree respectfully, we can treat each other with kindness, and then we can go vote. And I think that is one of the things that I was reminded about, and that's what makes our country great, when we can recognize that we are different, and we, we respect that, and we can debate that, and discuss it, and we can move forward. Now, call me Pollyanna, I know but I, that's the way I choose to uh, view the world. And I know we're not there right now, but I believe we can still get back there. So now, uh, everyone, get ready for our very next episode. Another great guest, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Thanks for tuning in. I know you've got a lot of choices in podcasts and digital media, and you are right here, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Elizabeth. I'll see you back here next week on the Dare Podcast.